Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. Golf Talk Live is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. Here's Andrew to tell you more about our sponsors. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, including reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, all designed to help you improve from tee to green. Welcome to Golf Talk Live with your host, Ted Odorico. Join Ted each week as he speaks with some of the best in golf. This week's special guest will join us a bit later. But first up is another great discussion on Coach's Corner. So let's introduce tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right, good evening, everybody, and once again, welcome to the my regular Thursday evening broadcast here on the uh, blogtalkradio.com network, uh, and uh, very excited to be here. Uh, as most of you uh, may have uh, realized, I actually had a special broadcast yesterday morning as I interviewed Dickie Prosser from uh, Lyle and Scott. He called in from uh, London, and uh, obviously because of the time difference, I gave him a uh, sort of a special broadcast, if you will, just for him. And it was a great show. I hope you have a chance to uh, go in and listen to it. Uh, best way to do that is to go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live and just scroll down to the on-demand section. And uh, you can uh, check out that recorded version from yesterday's show. Uh, hopefully you're going to stick around today, though, because we've got a great show for you tonight. I'm uh, going to be joined here by a good friend of mine uh, on the Coach's Corner p- uh, panel tonight. And then a little bit later on, I'm uh, excited to welcome back a uh, favorite guest, uh, Linda Harto. She is a world-renowned golf landscape painter, and uh, she's coming back on the show. We're going to talk about a bunch of different things uh, and uh, have a really good conversation. I think you'll enjoy that. Um, don't forget, we are live every Thursday night from 6 to 8 p.m. Central here on the blogtalkradio.com network. And um, just a, a couple of program notes. Uh, next week, because of the holiday, uh, obviously I have my other program, Women of Golf. There will not be for the next two weeks, actually. Uh, next week because it's uh, July 4th and uh, the Tuesday falls right on there. So we decide not to do the broadcast uh, observing that uh, special holiday. And then the following week, I'm going to be on vacation. So I won't have uh, the Women of Golf or Golf Talk Live. Now, there will be a Golf Talk Live next week, uh, but that'll be uh, the last show uh, for a couple of weeks. So uh, uh, that'll give you an opportunity to, to scroll down and listen to some of the uh, previously, previously air shows. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that uh, later in the broadcast. Uh, but uh, as I mentioned, I've got a, a good friend of mine joining me on the Coach's Corner panel. Let me introduce him, and we'll bring him right out and get into tonight's uh, panel discussion. Um, uh, my special guest on the panel tonight is Clint Wright. He's a 30-plus-year member of the PGA and one of the partners at TGM Golf. Uh, they're a big proponent of the R3 approach, and uh, I certainly consider him to be uh, one of the best covering the short game and uh, definitely a favorite here on Coach's Corner. So please welcome uh, tonight's panelist, uh, Clint Wright. Clint, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ted. I look forward to the, the conversation tonight. Just uh, the panel's kind of me and you tonight, right? Yeah, it's you and I. And and you know, in a way, I'm kind of glad because uh, I picked a topic that I think will be right up your wheelhouse. I know you're you're a, a man of many talents, but I think you like this particular one uh, <laughs> yeah. nonetheless. But uh, and, and I know that you, you were mentioning off air you're doing some stuff with Srixen. Uh, Tell us a little bit about that. I'll give you an opportunity, and you can do it at the end of the show as well, but uh, you're doing some stuff with them a little bit too. 
Yeah, that was just off air, just a conversation. But um, one of the nice things about where I'm at in career-wise right now is that um, when I left the last club, I was at the the uh, young sales rep asked me what I was doing, and I made a mistake of telling him I didn't have a lot to do. And he said, well, I have something you can do. And, and I go out now, when he schedules me, on, you know, maybe once a month, something like twice a month, to a lot of clubs in our area doing demo uh, for Strixon and Cleveland Golf and particularly club fitting, which in today's world is with the type of equipment that, that all the manufacturers have out there now that's adjustable and all different shafts, real important uh, and for your listeners, regardless of what manufacturer they use, uh, to be properly fitted, particularly in their driver, uh, and what's even more important in my state uh, case, get fitted for your wedges. It's really everybody it kind of overlooks that idea of getting your wedges fit because there's so many different loft angles and so many bounce degrees. So it's nice to have somebody that's got all of them there at one time with a track man or a flight scope or or a Garmin, whatever they use, to, to help you determine which one of those gives you better spin rates and things of that nature. So it's been a lot of fun for me, and, and thanks for um, letting me plug that a little bit. I appreciate it. Yeah, not a problem. Um, and, and, you know, you're exactly right. It, it is important. A lot of people overlook that aspect. You know, the, a lot of our amateur golfers go out there and just sort of buy something off the rack and with mm-hmm. really no fine-tuning. And they get out there, and it may not be the best equipment for them. And a lot of times, it's not always their swing or something else that's causing some of the problems. Sometimes it's the equipment they're playing. And people might think, well, I don't understand. You know, it's it's got a shaft, it's got a club head, and I'm just hitting the the ball down the fairway. What difference does it make? Well, it makes a lot of difference, um, you know, as you pointed out. We're going to actually get into that um, on one of these shows a little bit more in depth and really talk about club fitting a little bit more, what people need to know and so on. But tonight... Um, I know that you've mm-hmm. talked over the years um, about college golf, and I thought we'd talk a little bit about the college golf recruiting, everything you need to know, and, and I'm sure there's a lot more things that uh, we'd be able to cover. But I wanted to get your, because I know that you uh, are very familiar with this this category, and I thought you'd be a good one to have this conversation. Right. So um, mm-hmm. as you know, now, and, and part of the reason I want to learn something too, because I've not been involved in this aspect, as you know, and I've mentioned many times in the show, my right. forte was always more in cor- uh, corporate golf, uh, and I didn't really get into the junior side of things uh, as many others have in our profession. And uh, so it's always very interesting. And, uh, you know, we interview uh, on uh, the Women of Golf on Tuesdays a lot of the Epson Tour winners, of course, some of them fresh out of college. And it's always interesting to hear their journey and their story. So I thought this would be a good thing, for, especially for some of the listeners out there that got young junior golfers that maybe uh, have expressed an interest in, in playing some of the things that they need to know, what they need to know, and how they need to handle themselves as they prepare for potentially uh, getting on that college golf team, whether male or female. So sure. um, that's, mm-hmm. a, you know, that's a daunting uh, process, um, and we want to try to answer some of the uh, frequently asked questions and maybe clarify even a little bit of the NCAA regulations uh, as, as well. Yeah, and uh, I've got – yeah, th- those are things that you <laughs> – you definitely, and, yeah. and again, it's whether you're looking to play uh, college golf or your parent or legal guardian helping uh, that soon-to-be college golfer. So, uh, mm-hmm. how do you? And, and I want to, to be specific on these uh, these questions because I know it's very easy to, to jump ahead. Sure. So, um, oh, yeah. how do you get recruited generally for college golf? How, what's generally wow. the process? Then we'll get yeah. into a little bit more deeper. Well, you know, 
since I've been I've coached, I've been out of coaching for for a few years now, but I actually st- began coaching um, at the junior college level back in the the late '80s. And the one thing I think people need to to keep in mind is the landscape of college sports. And you know, we talk about golf now. That landscape is changing dramatically, uh, particularly with the portal uh, at Division yep. One. And, you know, back in the day, uh, we had a lot, and still do, don't misunderstand me, some really good junior college golf being played. And mm-hmm. so you, you can keep up with the uh, National Junior College um, Athletic Associations online and see their events and the teams that's really doing good. And sometimes it's a really good thing for a student uh, or a golfer to get involved in a two-year school, maybe local um, and so, you, but you look to see where their players go. That that's the important thing. But with the portal situation now, it's really interesting. We're beginning to see some Division One schools kind of cherry picking Division Two and Three because mm-hmm. they will play in some of these events. Um, that and and I'm going to get to the the purpose of what I'm saying is they they'll play in some of the like events and they keep watching this and if that number 1 or number 2 player at a division 2 school is beating their number 4 or 5 player they're going to try to get them through the portal yeah see if we can you know that happened locally where we're at now one of the Anderson University is one of the best division 2 schools in the country that's where I started coaching back when it was a junior college. Now it's a, a great Division two four-year institution, and Danny Neal and 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 uh, Denton are doing uh, Denton Moore are doing a great job with both of those programs. So I give them a little bit of a uh, a blast here. Is it look at, at Anderson University because they were ranked number one in men's golf and I think three and four in women's golf this year, and I know that one of their top players is going to Clemson next year. So Clemson mm, kind of cherry-picked wow. that Division II player. You know, so the portal is changing that landscape. So maybe that if I'm a, a, a not a top-end recruited player, if a Division I school is interested in you or interested in what you're doing at a national type of or, or high level, they'll contact you. Okay, mm-hmm. You know, you can reach out to the schools you want to go to. But used to be that if you weren't being heavily recruited or even recruited at all, you could always find that Division three or Division two school, NAI school, that, that would welcome you to come because you, you fit into their, their category of player. But it was almost like it was, you know, a letdown, disappointment you had to do that. But in today's world, it's almost the proving grounds for some of these top Division One schools, possibly. Now, what I'm saying is possibly, because it's so young right. and so early in that availability, we're, we're yet to see how it's truly going to play out. But you're beginning to see some of that, that, that movement from those top Division Two schools into those Division One schools. You're beginning to see it. And I think what's going to happen is you're going to, mom and dad and, and college kid and instructors, I know that, that Todd Ellison and Mike both work with some really good junior players. We've had good junior players through our program that went to Clemson. One of them now is Carson Young, doing well, doing very well on the PGA Tour. 
And, um, you know, so you're going to see that change. So I think right now the playbook, if you want to get down to it for a, for a, a player and a, and a parent, is that you may want to look and interview your instructors early. If you've got a, maybe a 12- or 13-year-old youngster that's really dedicated and committed to being a really good player, there, there's a there's a difference here. I mean, it's not like going out and practicing everything. This is being committed to being a top-line player, being recruited by top-line schools, means you're going to be out there working with a really good instructor that understands how a person changes from the time they're 12 to the time they're 18. Yeah, they're they're, and, they're a and, different you know, person. And go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say just just to um, you know add to that. Uh, very interestingly, I was watching uh, you know up in uh, Dothan, Alabama, this past weekend. They had the Future Masters. Future Masters. Been event yeah. For, yeah, yeah, been a great yeah. event, and that a, covers. I was a low qualifier th- right. when I was thirteen. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, yeah, it, it's always been, been going on, been going on a long time. And they actually uh, temporarily moved it. It's been held at the, for many years at the Dothan Country, Country Club. Club, and they're yeah, and they're doing some renovations. So they moved it out to the uh, Highland Oaks, uh, the Robert Trent Jones course this year. Right. And sure. I think it'll move back next year. But um, that's 13 to 18. You know, so that's kind of in the sweet spot of really what you're talking about. And I'll that's tell right. you, I didn't get to watch the whole thing, unfortunately, but I, I watched on the on the final round on Saturday. Um, mm-hmm. and there was some good, I mean, just incredibly good young, young players that actually made Look, me sick. I'm going to age myself dramatically. That, if you look at the historical winners of that event, which I know they post every year in their, their, their program, that's been a probably the premier junior golf tournament in the southeast up until yeah. AJGA got involved. And, uh, I mean, because if you won the future Masters, you were on the top of a lot of college lists. I'm sure, and, yeah. Uh, so, oh, and, and it hasn't changed. It's a wonderful event. They take great pride. And I'm telling this for the people that are out there listening. That tournament, the people that have run it for years and years, and I know they're different than what it was when I was playing in it, is they've taken great pride in that event forever. And they will continue to take great pride. And so your junior guy for going to Dothan Country Club to play in the future Masters will be treated better than you could ever imagine of being a player in their yeah. event. So I put oh, that really it, high on my list, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. there was a lot of uh, – uh, it, it was great for, for these young players and, and obviously their right. supporting families. Uh, not so good for the rest of us that wanted to go out and have have dinner at a local restaurant because it was packed. Well, with, no, absolutely all not. These <laughs> yeah. But it was great to watch them. It. And yeah. I mean, there were, yeah, there, I know exactly. It's when you that's when you flash up the grill and stay home. But um, that's right. You know, there were a lot of uh, great players from all, literally all over the place uh, here in the United States. Yes. Uh, traveling that's in right. with, with their folks and and uh, and so forth. But uh, yeah, definitely a great event. So I, I want to ask this, and, and again, uh, I'll, I'll give you a couple of specific things that I really want you to focus sure. on and, and talk about. But mm-hmm. from a, a young player, as a young junior golfer that has been thinking about it, you know, maybe they're 13, 12, 13 years old, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, they've got to start thinking about that. They've got to start thinking about this, even That's at right. that age, if not even sooner. So finding the right college for you, and I'm meaning them, 
Um, you know, determining where you want to go extends really beyond just golf scores. It's important to decide, you know, the priorities in athletic and academic space as well. You know, are you looking to play college golf at the top level or do you want an opportunity, you know, maybe to compete while focusing on your major? So there's really no right answer here. It depends on really what you want. And there's also something else to consider is uh, for future careers, is it going to be in the golf industry after your competitive play, uh, you know, playing days? uh, uh, And I know there's some great PGA golf management uh, university programs out there that maybe you can touch on a couple of them. So how do, from a, from a kid standpoint, I say kids because they're, a lot younger than us, um, what are some things that they need to consider other than what I've just mentioned? Well, I think you see the commercials all the time on the on, on television, NCAA. Like 90% of our students don't play professional sports. They do other things. So the vast majority of the people that are going to play uh, collegiate golf uh, go on to be doctors and lawyers and, you know, construction workers or, or whatever their field of choice are. And become great amateur players. You know that's that's what we've lost sight of a little in this country, is that mm-hmm. we, we've always had a lot of great amateur players, and and I think we're going to continue to get that because we're getting deeper and deeper into college golf, where you know the parity across you know the Division One to Division Two down to Division Three, there's a lot of great players. So uh, mm-hmm. we're going to have a lot more amateur golfers, and. You know, I've always, when I was talking to people, you want to go, um, and it's kind of a two-fold question about wh- where do you start getting competitive is kind of part of what you said. And now it's about what college you're going to go to. Well, once I've reached that level that I'm going to play college golf, I'm good enough. I've started it when I was 13 or 14, and I've progressed nicely with my instructors, and I've played some competitions, and I've been out of just my local um, can, you know, local counties, junior events. I've I've played in the future masters. I've tried to qualify for some state level, you know, junior opens, and maybe tried to play in my state open, and you know, get out to where there's some good players where college coaches want to see you playing against comparable players. Right. You know, with with all due respect to your local uh, junior championship. You could win it 20 times in a row, and that really don't prove that you're a college-level player. It just proves you're the best player in your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And so you've got to get out of your neighborhood to prove that you can compete. And, and that, that, that's an individual thing that a parent and a child has to decide. Some kids are, are ready to do that when they're 12, 13 years old, and then it may be that from a maturity level that it may be 14, 15, 17, 18. Uh, that's a very individual thing because when I was coaching and recruiting players, you could see a kid burn out. He'd be really good yeah. at 12, 13 years old, and by the time he got to be 18, he was. Uh, they just were, were burnt out of playing, you know. And so that's yeah. a real personal, individual thing that have to decide, um, you know. But you know, I think obviously you mentioned there's a lot of factors that go into where you want to go to school, and it's one of those things that, again, it's individual. Some children or some kids, I want to go here because their program I want to get into is the best, and if I play golf, that's a bonus. Then there's others that playing golf is the most important thing, and getting a reasonable degree is the bonus. I, I like the idea of getting the, the, the good undergraduate degree and play golf as a bonus. 
you know, you mentioned the PGM programs. I'm only going. I'm only going to tell you about one. Right. Okay. Uh, I was in the first class of a PGM program at Fair State University. So as far as I'm concerned, there's only one PGA program in the country, <laughs> and that's in Big, right. that's in Big Rapids, uh, with Michigan and uh, Fair State University, which, by the way, is two-time uh, Division II football national champions. Just throw that out there. Um, but you know, there there's numbers of them around. Okay, Methodist, um, Penn State, all of those have the PGM programs, and I would highly encourage a young person that wanted to get into golf as a career, that's a very good path. It treated me well, I'll promise you. And my friends that I know, we did quite well coming through the PGM program. It was very new, 1976. It was the very beginnings of it. But there's, I run into quite a few PGM graduates at the clubs that I go to that have done quite well as well. But I've also right. met the ones that come up through the ranks too. So uh, if you want a if you want a career in golf, uh, the PGM programs are a wonderful path, uh, and you get such a diversity of opportunities because you intern and you can intern around the country and not just work for one person and and go through. So that that's a great avenue for that. And most of them also have good golf teams, so you can kind of get your degree in golf management and get a chance to play collegiate golf as a bonus. So, But what it really comes down to is a, a parent and a child evaluating where they're at, where they want to be, and then try to determine, you know, the, the best path to get there. You know, we talk a lot about in playing golf is that you have to have, uh, you know, what is your objective? What do you want to, what do you, where do you want to go with this shot? And then how do you intend to get there? So if my objective is to play at a top level of collegiate golf, you have to have an intention of how you're going to do that. Have a plan. And I would encourage people to look around. Is any of the instructors in your area, golf professionals, dealt with college students that have been successful? And, and seek them out. They, they know how to do it and seek them out because every situation is a little bit different. It, it's very difficult, if not impossible, to put one road map on how do I get to a Division One school. Um, you know, yeah, you and, have to find a person that can help you manage that intent. Okay. Yeah, and there's a lot of great, uh, certainly great coaches out there, and it comes oh, down sure really personalities. Are. You know, you have to yes. find the right person for you because who, you know, the, the, the coach – for you might not be the same coach for me or, or vice versa. So you, know, you have to have that conversation. And, and, and I just want to touch a little bit on, on the parents' aspect as well. I mean, obviously the parents need to be involved, especially you know, when, they're, when they're a lot younger. I mean, at any point really, but the parents need to be involved. But something that you kind of alluded to, and, and we don't have to expand too much uh, because I, it's, it's right. pretty much a given, but one of the problems, unfortunately, in this junior uh, golf arena is uh, sort of overbearing parents. You know, the child has to really be the one to take the lead on this. What do they want? Now, they may need help in, in making some decisions, but it has to be at their behest and not the parents. A lot of times, and I know you've probably seen this uh, throughout the years, where you get parents that are very overzealous and they just want to push, 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 push. And then, like you said, you know, kids get burnt out. Uh, there's too much pressure on them. 
and they're no longer having fun. It becomes, uh, right. you know, and when you're 12, 13, 14 years old and you're just sort of working your way up through the junior ranks, um, it, it can be exciting, a lot of fun, and, and certainly challenging. But if you've got, uh, you know, a, a three-headed monster breathing down your neck, you know, 24-7, um, you know, on top of working with the coach and, you know, whatever else, uh, it, it's, it's difficult. And a lot of these kids, right. as you said, get burnt out. They're playing too much. Mm-hmm. They're not having enough diversity. And I think that's important to mention. So, you know, for you parents out there that have kids that have expressed an interest or maybe they're already in the program, you need to step back. You don't want to be that soccer, you know, mom and dad that's running up and down the field yelling out at their kid all the time. Uh, let them have some fun. Let them enjoy it. Let them lead. And if they want to step away for a little bit, even if they have aspirations of, of playing at a higher level, if they need a break, let them have it. Um, I think if you push them too hard, uh, then it's going to have other consequences. So I just want to throw that in there. Um, I think it's pretty self-explanatory, but you'd be surprised at how many parents need to listen to that. I want to ask you something else, too, uh, and, and that is, you know, get, sort of being a part of the junior golf rankings. I think that's important as well. Uh, to be playing in some of these, you know, a lot of these junior events, as you said, not just in your local region, but uh, elsewhere. Sure. And there's some great junior uh, golf tours out there, like the AJGA, uh, the Future uh, Collegians World Golf Tour, uh, Southeastern Junior Golf, uh, Hurricane, and so on, and many others. Uh, Hurricane, there's a ton yeah, of them out there. they're out there. Yeah, you, yeah. You, you need to do some research. You need to, once you've sort of found a coach, um, you know, have a conversation with them about that. What are some of the better ones? And it's not just necessarily the top ones, but what is, is going to provide you with the best benefits. Do you want to touch on that just a little bit uh, about sort of getting out there and putting yeah. yourself out there in these junior rankings? Sure. I, I think you have to – what I would do if and, – and back to your point about the, the parents and the child. Somewhere maybe when they're a freshman or sophomore in high school, they're going to decide whether they really want to be a golfer or just an athlete. So that's a good time frame there. And what I would begin to do is there's nothing wrong for a parent or a child to pick up the phone and call the golf coach at the universities or colleges that they're interested in. You know, have a list. You know, I wouldn't have a long list. Maybe the top ten of the colleges and schools that you might be interested in attending in the next four years. Because you're going to come into a freshman, obviously it's going to take a take you four years to get to be a senior, and ask them a simple question. Which one of these junior tour rankings do you pay the most attention to? Okay, which ones do you watch? Because they all watch different ones. I mean, if you're on the West Coast, they got different ones out there. If you're on the East Coast, we have different. Down Southeast, you know, Hurricane, AJGA, and, you know. So ask them what they look who they look for for their rankings and how they're, what they think are comparable junior events, then I would also look at my playing adult events if you can get in them. You want to play in your state open. You know, there's great amateurs like the Southeastern Amateur that I still think has been played in Columbus, Georgia every year. There, there's great junior events, amateur events, that you can get into – I would think if I'm going to be that top line Division One player, I'm going to want to be thinking that I'm going to try to qualify for the U.S. Open, the U.S. Amateur. Put yourself out there. You're, you got to get your name alongside of those other names in the same events. 
get out there and try. You know, um, I had a young man that played for me, uh, Frank Licklider, um from Ohio, played for me for one year, then he went back to Wright State. But he was one of the most determined young men I've ever met because he knew he was going to play the tour. And I know we flew him into, or he flew into the national championship the day after he tried to qualify for the U.S. Open. And this was a freshman in college. So that determination of putting yourself in those events, you need to find out how good you are. Is your goals and your objectives realistic? Are you, are you as good as you think you are? And the only way you're going to find that out is to put yourself out there in those top-level events, either being the good amateur state level, national amateurs, or your top-end junior um, uh, tours. You'll, you'll find out, and you'll know what you need to do. Because it's not that you're not possibly, it's you just haven't kind of figured out, okay, if I want to be this good, Pay attention to what those guys that are that good already are doing. You know, who they're working with, what's their routine. Pay attention. Uh, they didn't get there by accident. And particularly in your amateur events, they're, they're seasoned players. They didn't get there by accident either. So pay attention to how they're operating. But I think that from the junior tour standpoint, that I would be asking the coaches of the schools that I was most interested in, what they view as the best tours and ones they use to compare rankings from player to player. That that yeah. that way you know which ones you should be playing in, okay? Yeah, you want to know where their eyes are going to be most often. Correct. Because, right, you don't want to – yeah, and, and again, it's not to, to be disrespectful to any of, of the junior tours, no. but at the same time, there are some that are, are, are certainly – um, maybe hold a higher standard, uh, you know, in the industry and are recognized more in the industry. And, again, sometimes you just I hate to use the term, but you have to play the game, and, and uh, that's part oh, of the process. To. So, yeah, 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 you got to, especially with, with the competition. I want to read out a few things. I'm not going to go through it all because, it, it, you know, there's a lot, but I think it's important. And I'm going to make a sure. point of posting this uh, uh, a little more officially, um, you know, over the next little bit, uh, so, so that uh, folks can have an understanding. But I want to talk about some of the standard NCAA golf recruiting rules because there are rules to this. Mm-hmm. What you can, and I'm going to just very, like I said, very briefly uh, over the three divisions, one, two, and three, uh, so that people have a gen. And then I'll get you to, you know, to uh, make any comments that you want. So uh, the NCAA golf regulations at the same uh, are the same, excuse me, for men and women, but differ slightly by school division. So uh, when planning campus visits, beware of dead periods where no contact is allowed with coaches, typically around holidays. Uh, in order to be considered for college play, uh, you also must register with the NCAA Eligibility Center, which reviews your amateur status and high school transcripts. So for both men and women in Division uh, Division One, here's some of the regulations. So uh, freshman and sophomore year after high school, you can have no communication with college golf coaches or the athletic department until after June 15th after uh, your sophomore year. Uh, beforehand, you may receive uh, a college golf uh, camp and recruiting uh, brochures, and you uh, can make unofficial visits to college campuses as long as you don't speak with anyone from the athletic department, uh, tour free tickets to home games until uh, August 1st before your junior year. So there's others there, and uh, again, I'll have that post up. Division two, uh, very uh, brief. Uh, you can take unofficial visits at any point in your recruiting journey. Again, after June 15th, after your sophomore year, uh, you have unofficial uh, visits uh, um, to Division II schools 
though there is still a cap on one official visit per college. And uh, again, Division Three and NAIA schools, uh, you'll notice the following. College coaches can begin contact with you at any time during high school, and you can go on unlimited unofficial visits during that time. Uh, and you can have off-campus contact with college coaches after your sophomore year. So there's other stuff uh, there. I just want to touch on a right. few. So it's important for people to know that because, and there, there's a reason why that goes on. Obviously, it's to protect. Um, obviously, the schools have to adhere to certain rules as well. Um, right. But it's really to protect everybody in the process so that there isn't any sort of, you know, stacking the deck, if you will. Um, right. But that's that's important. And particularly, I think it's not only important for the kids, but it's really important for the peer, uh, the parent to understand that so they can be informed. And this is a conversation, again, that you could have with your coach, right? Oh, absolutely. You want to have that conversation with your uh, high school coach team, which is sometimes really good, sometimes, you know, just um, a really good person trying to, to help out some kids. Uh, but with your instructor your golf instructor that you hopefully will be developing that relationship with, um, yeah, they, they need to know that as well and know when and how they can contact college coaches. Um, and not necessarily on your behalf of one individual, but but to uh, talk to different coaches for his, his own purpose, not for just one student. Um, you know, I, if I was a... a an instructor and I would be interested in how college coaches recruit because I'm trying to help my students in general uh, knowing how to do that. So I need to be knowledgeable on, on how college coaches do. The rules basically I think is more to protect the student from just an onslaught of phone calls and stuff from coaches. Right. Um, you know, and so, and also the other side, the coaches need a break too. You know, <laughs> they need a vacation. Yeah. So those 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 dead periods is really nice for them as well because then they know nobody's expecting them to call. Okay, you know, if there's that dead period, and I'm, or let's say there's not a dead period, and I'm a college junior or senior, and the phone's not ringing. I'm I'm beginning to get a little worried, but it's just the coach and his family went on vacation for a week. You know, he's not calling anybody. So those dead periods kind of relieve everybody of that pressure. It relieves the kid yeah. and the parent to to having to answer the phone all the time and open the letters, uh, emails, and it also relieves the coaching staffs at the universities. Okay, I can take a break here because nobody's expecting me to do anything. You know what I mean? It's it's not like, well, yep. I've been real hot on this one player, now all of a sudden I'm not. Um, so they don't get the mis they don't get the misunderstanding of why there's not this continual contact. There's a dead period, so everybody's off the hook. The pressure's down. People can go on vacation. They can go out and play in some events without thinking they just got everybody there watching me, and, and kind of enjoy the process a little better. Uh, I think the rules are great. Um, but there are knowledgeable people out there other than coaches on just what people expect. There, yeah, there, and there's a lot of – there's. go ahead. Go ahead, finish your thought. No, finish your thought. Oh, yeah. Well, there there are companies out there, I'm, and I'm not going to get into that. I'm not real high on them that, that will, for a fee, they'll help you get noticed. You know, um, 
I'm not so sure that that's the best way to do it, but there are companies out there that do that. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot. I was going to briefly mention that as well, and I'm not going to get into specifics. Um, uh, but it's like right. anything, you've got to be careful. Yeah, you've got to be careful too because there's a lot out there that, you know, that may make promises. So it's always good to have, um, you know, somebody that you've been comfortable with, your swing coach, what have you, your, your teacher professional you've been working with, you know, throughout the ranks mm-hmm. um, that can that, – and, and, and again, there, there's two things. I want to differentiate so that people aren't confused here. Um, we're really right. talking about two different coaches. You have your coach that maybe you've been working with through junior uh, golf and, and uh, you know, maybe got you started in the game. Uh, and, and then you've got your college golf coach who works at some of these right. programs uh, that you're looking to get in. So I want to make sure that that's who we're talking about. When I, when I was talking about the NCAA rules there, uh, that's who I was talking about uh, as far as contacting them. There's rules there about how you contact. So I'm referring to the college golf coaches in that aspect. Uh, obviously, you can contact right. your swing coach uh, anytime you want, but if you're interested right. in playing in, in uh, Division One, Two, II, or Three, uh, there are certain protocols that you have to follow. Um, but yeah, there, there are there are some very reputable individuals out there that have a lot of experience. Maybe they're uh, you know ex college golf coaches that are looking to uh, you know keep their their toes in the sand or in the water and uh, have maybe formed uh, some sort of a uh, recruiting process. Again, you've got to be careful of it, but there are some that are, are very good out there that really understand the process and can help guide you. And yes, uh, uh, obviously there, there are usually fees involved, but uh, again, just do your homework. Uh, always get referrals and that sort of thing. So we've gone through the process of, uh, it, you know, the, the dead uh, zone, if you will, and the timing and when you can do that. Um, and now it's time to talk to your go- uh, college golf coach, so or potential coach. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what's the best approach? Do you think? I mean, some you know kids are a little shy. Maybe they don't want to just dive right in and end it. What's the best way? Is to maybe reach out, uh, you know, through email, just to sort of say, hey, you know, here I am. I'd like to ha- have a uh, you know a conversation with you. I'm interested in your school. What's what's the best way from a kid's standpoint uh, to approach to sort of knock on the door, if you will? Well, I think you just mentioned it. I mean, make contact however you can. I mean, make a phone call, send him a letter. Most of these top-line coaches have assistant coaches that are kind of head their recruiting process, you know. Um, and so find out who the where their recruiting starts. Is it the assistant coach or is it the head coach? Make them know that you're you're interested. And then, that, then they'll, you know, maybe take a look and see how you're doing. You know, back in the day, everybody sent a resume. Now, you know, maybe they still do that. I don't know. But I think you have to take the initiative, okay, um, to make them aware you're interested in them just as much as they want to make sure that the players they've identified are interested, that they know that the coaching at the university is interested in them. So it's a two-way street, you know. Um, I also would, you know, under the rules, we don't want to, we don't want to get any gray area here. Is I would look at the school's former teams, who the alumni are, and yep. reach out to some of those that may be in your local area. Hey, you were, you know, you used to play on this golf team. You know, how was it? You know, maybe I wouldn't go back more than wherever the existing coach went to. You know, find out how long the right. coach has been there. 
Look at that list of his teams or her teams and look and, and see if there's any of those people that you can reach out to inside the period of time when you can reach out to the alumni as well. We don't want to break the rules. And speak with them. Let them know because, you know, the the course is the, obviously Clemson University and Anderson University are close to us, and they have they have great history of alumni support and things. So you you go back and maybe contact some of them. Hey, I'm interested in playing at the university you played at. Uh, can you tell me a little something about it, or maybe how was the coach? You know. Uh, how do I get in touch with them? You know, that information is out there, obviously readily available to the public, how you get a hold of them. Uh, but maybe talk to some of the alumni as well. They might be able to give you a, a part of that intent. How do you intend to get to where you want to? And speaking to former players and alumni is part, in my opinion, would be part of that intent. How am I going to get to where I want to be? Um, I, don't, I don't think you can ask too many questions of people that have been where you want to go. You know, they may have a different opinion. Um, so I, I would reach out to that coach when you can uh, by the rules to let them know you're interested in their school. And, and that's yep. a point of pride for them. You, you get a, a a really good junior guy for this out there improving and coming along, um, you know, that's a point of pride for them that, that they're doing their job to reach out and show that this is a place you might want to be, you know. So coming from the other way, that's a point of pride for them as well. So I, yeah, I never I, would, uh, you know, not do that. I, you got to reach out to them. Yeah, for, for sure. And you've got to start that conversation. And I know it's it's probably a little more difficult nowadays. I mean, it's still always been difficult, oh, but sure. nowadays, unfortunately, the kids are, are buried in their phones all the time, so they're not as good, uh, you know, communicators uh, in person as much as they used to be either more through social media and, and things like that. So, right. you know, there's a lot of great ways, even with technology, that you can uh, certainly reach out initially, initially, but eventually you're going to have to talk to them. And, you know, I don't see anything in the rules. If, if you're uh, somebody that, uh, you know, maybe has a favorite school that uh, you're interested in and you're a good player, um, maybe flash their colors. Uh, you know, <laughs> have uh, wear yeah. their colors a lot. And, wrong with that. You know, and send them a, you know, send them a signal and say, hey, you, yeah. know, uh, you know, Clemson, I'm wearing your colors here, and maybe I've got uh, – you know, something on the golf bag as well that uh, when they're out there looking, they say, hey, nothing. this guy, uh, you know, yeah. So, uh, yeah, you know, there's lots of stuff. wearing that orange and white, you know. Right, right, exactly. So, you know, so there's a lot of great ways that you can do it that, that it would certainly get you under the radar. But I want to talk a little bit more about parents because the parents have a huge role in this as well. We, I, I mentioned it earlier about, you know, putting the pressure and things like that. But what do the parents need to do? What What's some of the process that they need to do early on from get-go um, that they can do to really help, not just guide, but, but give them some, some solid advice? Um, and then what do they need to do or when do they need to back off? At what point do they need to back off and say, okay, I'm going to let the, the process uh, sort of roll out. Um, I've done my part. I'm certainly going to continue to be supportive and, and engage whenever mm -hmm. possible. But what's the first steps that the parents need to do? Do you think uh, when when somebody when their little ones come up and said, "Hey, I I'm, love playing golf and I'm really interested in, in seeing where I can go with this, whether it be playing or, or in the industry in some fashion," what role can the parents play that can be supportive uh, and beneficial to the to the youngster? Well, I mean, it, it's it, that's, a, that's a big question, but 
it it really comes down to the parent understanding their kid and are you determined you know are they, are they the, that determined type of attitude about hey i'm going to go out here i really want to do this and i think that decision has to take place in their teenage years not when they're 10 or 11 years old uh, a, a young child like that should be playing every sport they can play if you look at it, the, the greatest players that we can say in our our game, Nicholas Woods, mm-hmm. Bobby Jones, they were all sport players. They didn't just play golf. Right. They, they played everything. So let them play. Let them be a kid. Let them play sports until they've matured enough to decide, well, you want to you wanna try to pursue the golf as the main sport or maybe you want to pursue soccer, whatever it is. If it's golf, then here's my recommendation. Unless you're a golf professional or a golf instructor, then you need to go out and hire one and stay out of their way. Um, parents, a lot of, and many do this now, not all, but some of them will do that. But, you know, I've always asked the parent, what do you do for a living? And they'll tell me. And I'll say, well, you know, that's wonderful, and you were hired to do your job, Right. And you would probably be a little upset if your customer come in and tried telling you how to do your job. And see, a golf professional, a golf instructor, thinks the same way. You hired me to do a job. Now let me do my job. Support yeah. your child. Be the driver to get them to the tournament. Get them to their lessons. But be able to let the professional you hired to try to help your child move forward, do their job. You know, when I was really actively coaching some juniors, I would go to the tournaments locally they were playing in. And, but I wouldn't follow them. I'd go watch them warm up, give them some encouragement, and I wouldn't follow them. First, because it made me nervous as I could be. You know, I want to go out there and help them, you know. And, um, but... I, I wouldn't follow them. I didn't, wouldn't want that pressure on them. And I'll be honest with you, I've seen some parents that recognize their child needs their support while they're playing just for them to be there. That's wonderful. Right. Go do it. Be there. But I've also seen the child that says, you know, hey, I need to be out here on my own. You know, I appreciate you bringing me. Um, but sit at the clubhouse. <laughs> I'll talk to you at the turn. You know? And a parent needs to recognize that. It's not the child's responsibility. It's the parent going, you know, I know I'll make you nervous when I go out there with you, so I'm just going to stay here. You'll be okay. Go out and play. Have fun. I'll see you at the turn. That is a really hard thing for a parent to do. I'm not suggesting at all that it would be easy to do that because you want to be there for your child and support them, you know. And I always wanted to be there for mine when they they were having a hard day, not the good day. You know, they needed my right. they needed my support more when they had a bad day, uh, not the good day. Um, so it, it's hard not to want to do that. But I think the biggest thing I would, you know, and I've never run into very many of these parents, mind you. There's not that many. You know, they say, hey, let me do my job. You know, if you want to be their coach, go ahead. I'm, I'm happy for you. But if you're going to hire – and this is where – that interview of instructors becomes real important. Right. Okay, I wouldn't just take the first one I found. You need to, if you've got a potential good golfer who wants to play collegiate golf, you need to do a little. The parent's role here is to do a little research and find out who in their area uh, can help them 
get to where they want to be under the style and attitude of their child and them. You know, so that I, that interview process of trying to determine who your instructors will be, you know, because I've done this many times, is that I've had a young, you know, a kid that comes in, you've worked with them a little bit, and it's just as far as I can take them. So I then recommend, hey, you may want to go over and set up some time with Todd here because he can take your child further up this ladder than I can. Right. And that's that's a really good way of looking at just how far and ask that question, how far do you think you can take my child in this process? Or is that instructor committed to helping them get to where they need to be? You know, so it's kind of a three way street. You got the parent instructor and the player and the child. So that interview process of that instructor then will help the parent to determine really what their best role is in helping their child achieve their objectives. And, you know, um, you know, it's one of those things where parents, you don't, you don't get a redo on this, you know. Um, you only got you only got a three or four year shot at it, and you don't do a redo. So it's real important that you begin to understand that pathway intent. How am I going to help them get to where they want to be? And then if they're qualified, you know, I'm, uh, great. I've I've had friends of mine that were professionals that their children were great players, and they coached them all well. Justin Thomas is a great example. His father coached him all the way through. You know, yep. Jay Sewell, the coach that Justin Thomas played for, his father, uh, Mr. Jackie Sewell, was a great instructor in our area and, and had all of his boys were great players. Daniel and, 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 and Jay are great players. So he coached them along. So there's that instant where you had a father, son, daughter, whatever qualified that could do it. But the other side of it is, if you're not, it's real important for that for that interview to find that person that can help them uh, work their way through the ranks and move forward. Uh, not to say that it's a one-time choice. You you might find one that does, you try them, it didn't work out, you move on to the next, you know, try to change, change gears. But um, I think the real key support factor for your parents is to be able to find the professional, the instructor, their role is to do the interviewing and find the person that can help their child move towards their objectives uh, with proper intent. And and it goes to what what really we talked about uh, earlier on, and that is, um, you know, the why. You know, we want to know why that child wants to play, what their objectives, what their goals sure. are. And I, I know at a very early age it's hard for them to define it, and that's where the parents can kind of help guide a little bit. But it really depends on what the child wants. You know, if the child does not That's want correct. to, and also the seriousness too. And this is something that a coach, an experienced coach, is going to be able to draw out of them to see whether or not this is just sort of a phase. Hey, you know, I kind of like golf and enjoy playing with dad, but and I think I might have a shot. You know, you want to see that because, and it's not so much from a standpoint that the coach doesn't necessarily want to waste his or her time, but they want to see really how serious the child is about because it's a commitment. It's not just okay, we're going to come out once or or twice a month and we'll, you know, hit some balls around that. If you want to play at that level, whether it's one, two, or three division, you know, you've got to put commitments into it. And obviously the higher up the, the ladder you go, the more of the commitment. And sometimes kids, you know, uh, get into a, a situation where they don't want to disappoint the parents, what have you. And uh, so they keep grinding it out, grinding it out. 
Uh, and maybe at some point through the process, they've decided, well, this is not really what I wanted to do as much as I thought it was, but I don't want to disappoint dad or I don't want to you know, disappoint both of my right. parents or whatever the case is. So sure. this is where right. early conversation between parent and child is. It's great that they, you know, they want to shoot for the stars, uh, but is this really – and let somebody that's professional that knows the questions to ask, you know, talk with – and certainly the parents need to be present. Uh, and ask their own questions, but they need to let that coach sort of do their work. And again, you want to do in those earlier interviews, you want to make sure that there's a connection between the child and the coach, because if, the, if there's personality conflicts, that sort of thing, um, that's right. going to you know, leave a sour, sour taste. So, and again, everybody's not for everybody. So, and that's fine. There's nothing that's wrong right. with that. And, and, the, and don't be one, afraid. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. Yeah, the one thing to add here, in the early stages, if you've got like a 10, 12, 13-year-old child that's thinking he won't do it, I've always wanted the parent to be there at that particular stage. Yeah. That helps me develop a relationship with the parent and the student at the same time. And at that point, the, the parent can help the child with a second set of eyes. Here's what we're wanting to work on. Here's what it looks like. You can help them progress a little bit. But once we move into that 13, 14, 15 age group where they're kind of a young adult, that's when that relationship with the instructor becomes more important than the instructor to the parent. Right. Right. Exactly. Uh, well said. It, it, again, because, you know, the, the child has to, you know, have an understanding of what their, you know, what their process is, what they're going through. Uh, as well as the coach. And I think also to to emphasize a point you made earlier is the parents need to to allow the coach to do their job. They can't micromanage. And, and that's where those earlier conversations to, to make sure that everybody's on the same page, because if you've got a coach, it's okay, I've got a plan. Here's what the plan is. And the parents sort of, you know, verbally say, well, yeah, okay, that sounds okay. Let's see how it goes. And they're not really on board with that. Then that becomes a problem where suddenly they're telling the child, well, you know, I know the coach said to do this, but we think you need to do this, then you're just you're sabotaging the process. So um, it, there, everybody has to be on the same page. And, again, if it doesn't work out, well, then you can move on. But that's one area that I would say to parents, you need to let the coach do their job. You need to be confident and feel comfortable in the decisions and, and the game plan, if you will. Uh, everybody has to be on board, child especially, do as well. Because if they're, again, micromanaging the coach all the time, uh, then they're just defeating the purpose, and uh, the coach is either going to give up and just say, look, this is not going to work out, or the child's going to get so frustrated because they're getting communication from both sides. They obviously don't want to disappoint the parents. They certainly don't want to disappoint the coach either, uh, and they don't know where to turn, and then out of frustration, they walk away. And that, unfortunately, does happen, maybe not as much in some areas as others, but I know in, in Florida, I've uh, spoken to a number of coaches who have seen that happen where the, pelic, uh, the you know the helicopter parents come out and they micromanage the whole process and it just does not uh, it's a disaster for the child and uh, and for the whole process so but uh, interesting conversation I, I enjoyed that I yeah. learned something and Loved it. and uh, you know it's uh, hopefully the, the listeners have as well uh, I think it's a, it's an important topic I think as as we touched on off air there's a lot of new folks coming out to the game both young and old. And it's exciting to see some of these youngsters come out. And some of them may have aspirations of playing collegiate golf. I don't know. Uh, some of them may just want to go out there and, and uh, you know, uh, hit the ball around with some of their buddies. And, and that's the extent of it. That's okay, too. 
but I think it's a good idea for parents, particularly to have an understanding that if their child has expressed an interest uh, to play collegiate golf or at some higher level, uh, that they put a game plan in, in place and that they make uh, uh, the right contacts. And there's a process. So I'm going to put some information up uh, online a little bit later on uh, about uh, some of the rules and things like that and maybe uh, some links to some good areas that parents can go to get some information to get the, the ball rolling for those that are looking for it. But right. Clint, as always, um, a great conversation. I enjoyed it. And uh, yeah. Uh, so what are you going to do for the, the holiday? Are you going to take some time off this holiday weekend? Well, I'm in Atlanta right now. My uh, grandson's first birthday is tomorrow, so we're going to celebrate that and Fourth of July kind of at the same time. So it's it's a it's a really good good time. And and then uh, I'm very fortunate. There's a group of us leaving next week, going to Ireland for a while. So we're going to play some golf wow. over there. So we're we're re- really looking forward to that. And I would I would encourage people if they're if they're wanting to get overseas, Ireland is a, a very welcoming place to go and got great golf courses in Ireland. We're really looking forward to that trip. So a lot of guys there from the local area going with us. So it should be fun, but I hope everybody has a safe 4th of July. And, and uh, Ted, you have some, you're going to have a nice nice vacation, so that'll be good. But um, we, we look forward to having a little time off as well. And, and hopefully, and, you know, Ted, you're right. I think more kids are going to like the, Think about college golf because on the golf channel now they're showing college golf. They're showing yep. you know uh, different tournaments, so the, the it's out there more than it ever has been. We're seeing more mm-hmm. kids get in the junior programs than we ever had in the past, at least in the recent years. So it, it's a wonderful time to be in our business and be part of our sport. And um, and and I think that the younger guys in our business now have a great future because we're seeing a lot of 25 and. 15-year-olds and 30-year-olds starting to play golf that that is a welcome sight around most golf courses a day, I'm sure. So, But I have enjoyed the show. Yeah. This has been a little bit different than what we normally do, and yeah. so it's been kind of fun <laughs> having that conversation with you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And, Clint, just very quickly, uh, I know you're going to have some time with uh, with your, your grandson there and uh, enjoy that experience and, uh, and, and your trip over to Ireland. I, I look forward to hearing some good stories about that when you return. Uh, uh, but just quickly, will be let many. the folks know. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure there will. Just be safe. Um, let the folks know the best way if they want to reach out to you and maybe have questions or, or uh, want to find out how you can help their game uh, or certainly point them in the right direction. Uh, what's the best way to do that? Yeah. The easiest way is just send me an email at clintgolf001 at yahoo.com. Uh, I'll be more than happy to answer those, or um, they can they can find me on Facebook. It's uh, just type in Clint Wright in Anderson, South Carolina, and they can find me that way and message me there, and and uh, we can uh, we'll, we'll definitely respond back to them because we've we've had a great time on the show over the years, and and look forward to the future with it as well. So everybody have a great holiday, and and Ted, thanks again. Appreciate it. Have a good one, and uh, I'll talk to you next month. Thanks, Clint. All right. All right, that was Clint Wright uh, joining me on a special Coach's Corner panel talking about uh, uh, the, a little bit about the recruiting process for college golf. Uh, as he mentioned, a lot of folks out there coming into the game, and especially some of the younger uh, kids uh, that uh, have really grappled to, to the game and uh, may have aspirations of playing at a higher level, and, and college golf can certainly be a great experience for that uh, uh, younger uh, junior golfer, so something to consider and uh, as I said, I'll put some information out uh, through uh, my social media channels to uh, give you 
uh, some tips on where you can go to get more information uh, than what you heard tonight. But uh, appreciate uh, that uh, conversation, Clint. Uh, all right, we're going to take a quick break uh, for a message from Golf Tips Magazine, and then I'll be back with tonight's special guest, Linda Harto. The following ad is sponsored by Golf Tips Magazine. Are you tired of being short off the tee? And what about those three putts? Forget about it. It's time you got serious about your game. Golf Tips, the most in-depth magazine in the industry. For over 30 years, Golf Tips has delivered expert content such as the latest golf instruction from America's top pros, simple-to-follow practice and game improvement drills, fitness and mental game tips, equipment, training aids, accessory and apparel reviews, golf destinations and travel tips for every budget, and so much more. Don't miss a single issue. Go to GolfTipsMag.com and subscribe today. All right, welcome back uh, to uh, my regular Thursday night edition of Golf Talk Live. Uh, always excited to do this program, uh, which airs every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central here on the blogtalkradio.com network. Uh, and as I mentioned, next week I will have uh, another program, and then I'll be off on uh, a week's holiday. So the following Thursday uh, there won't be a show, but you can certainly go to uh, our main link, uh, blogtalkradio.com slash golftalklive, and you can scroll down to the on-demand section and uh, listen to all of the uh, previously aired uh, broadcasts in their entirety. But thanks for joining live tonight. All right, as I mentioned uh, earlier in the program, I'm joined once again uh, by my very special guest. She's been on the show a number of times. In fact, she was on earlier this year, uh, I think on the uh, 30th of March, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, been uh, enjoyed the uh, pleasure of having her on the program. And uh, let me just do a quick introduction, and I'll bring her out, and we'll get into tonight's uh, uh, interview. Uh, my very special guest this evening is Linda Harto. She is a well, uh, world-renowned uh, golf landscape painter. Uh, her work is displayed in the permanent collections of such legendary clubs as Augusta National, uh, Laurel Valley, uh, Pinehurst, and Pine Valley, and also in a number of personal collections of such golf notables as Jack Nicholas, Ray Floyd, and Reese Jones, and also uh, has some collections in the USGA Museum, uh, in Far Hills, uh, New Jersey, and in the Morris Museum of Art in Augusta, Georgia. Uh, many, many other uh, accolades as well. And she was also inducted in 2017 into the Low Country uh, Golf Hall of Fame and has been honored by uh, Golf Digest with the Lifetime Achievement Award. So please welcome back to the show my very special guest this evening, Linda Harto. Hi, Ted. It's great to visit with you Hi. again. Well, hi, Linda, and welcome welcome back. You're getting to be a regular guest. I know. I love it. <laughs> Thank you for that great introduction. <laughs> well, you know, you've got, uh, and there's, I know so many other things that I could read out, but you've got so many things. I had to, I actually had to start editing it down because I didn't want to waste our, our time just going <laughs> through everything and then I have a chance to ask you any questions. So, um so let me let me just start with this, um, mm-hmm. and I know I've, I've asked you many many times, uh, obviously about specifically what you do and that. But when did you first start doing uh, and becoming a, 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 a golf landscape painter? When did you first start doing that? Um, and what was sort of the thought process? Were you doing other things first, and then this sort of was, was a natural progression, uh, you know, or was this something that you had an interest from an, a very early age that I want to be a painter? And at some point in the process, uh, you got into the golf landscaping side of things. Give us a little bit of history of that. Well, yeah. Um, I think I was always an artist. <laughs> I think I knew I was an artist for sure by age six. 
because I realized then not everybody did what I did, which was a lot of artwork. <laughs> so uh, basically that guided the rest of my life because, you know, I was just like, oh, okay, I'm an artist. So uh, every decision I made from then on was pretty much based on that, which I was very fortunate for that, too, I can say that. Uh, but anyway, my first golf landscape was in 1984. Before that, I painted many different subjects, a lot of landscape, portraits, even equine portraits. So I had quite a range of things that I did. And um, I guess some people from Augusta National saw my landscapes in a gallery in Hilton Head near where I live, and um, the pros called and asked if I could paint a golf course, and I said, sure. <laughs> so I painted the 13th hole for the first time in 1984, and I really had no idea where that would lead, but it's led to almost 40 years of painting lost uh, golf landscapes, so it was quite a momentous thing. At the time, I didn't realize it, but where it would lead, but <laughs> it certainly did. <laughs> well, obviously, it was a very smart decision on your part. Uh, it, it served you well with a, a, a really wonderful career that you uh-huh. enjoyed and still continue. Yeah, still continue to enjoy. What is it about golf art that you find most interesting? Because again. You know, for people that don't play golf, they, you know, I know people that don't play and they say, well, I don't get the game at all and that. It's not really so much about the game itself, but what is it about golf art that you find really interesting? Well, of course, my first love is just the landscape. And it is, the golf landscape is just uh, incredibly beautiful, but it's also tied into the game, obviously. And uh, so there's that. Uh, sort of metaphysical part to it besides just being a landscape. Uh, I think everyone experiences golf. At, well, it's a discipline, right? <laughs> so right. you have a, a, a lot of experiences on that golf course. And I try to uh, convey that part of it as well as just a landscape. But what's exciting as an artist is how the light hits the land and uh, just all the, you know, the landscape in general, whether it's like Pebble Beach or Royal County Down, you have these wonderful views that are just stunning that happen to have a golf course on them. Let me ask you um, about mm-hmm. that because that's really interesting because, you, you know, you mentioned that, you know, obviously prior to this you'd painted other landscapes and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I always wondered about this. You know, if you're painting, let's say, just a general landscape somewhere, unless somebody is familiar with that, they're not going to know, you know, how accurate or whatnot. But when, when you're doing, sure. let's say, the number 13 at Augusta National that people are very familiar with, you know, uh, and again, obviously, there, there, you know, there could be subtle mistakes here and there. People would never notice, you know, unless they had a trained eye. But, um, but is, is it more challenging as an artist to do something like, like say, a, a hole or a part of a course than it would be, say, a general landscape somewhere where somebody may not be familiar with that particular uh, vision, oh. if you will? Do you, is it is it harder as an yeah. artist or or more yeah, challenging? I, I guess it, would be it, the word. It's definitely, you can't, like I said, you can't think of it just as a 
uh, composition of the landscape. You have to also think of it as it's as a whole, as part of a game. Mm-hmm. You know, so someone is going to be obviously looking at it who's familiar with the course, and they're going to be right. looking at it as how do I play this hole, or how have right. I played this hole, <laughs> or right. what are the challenges of this hole. And so that's very much a part of it. You can't just take a little piece out of a golf course and paint it and expect, you know, it's it's a combination of a lot of different things. Yeah, um, and there's a lot of thought. Mental and yeah. physical. <laughs> right, and, and a lot and of then thought. I have to, yeah, then I have to find what excites me about it being just a landscape, and that usually includes the lighting, uh, the composition, uh, there'll be certain elements I really want to get in there, like if there's a mountain or a water feature or whatever. So I have to construct all that in in my choice and what makes it exciting to me to paint. So there's a lot yeah, that goes it, into it. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. So are are you... Um, on a personal level, are you somebody that has played golf over the years? Maybe you still do or don't or have ever played. Um, and if so, has that helped your eye a little bit when it comes to creating, uh, you know, essentially these landscape masterpieces? Is it help you as somebody who does play or doesn't play? Uh, well, I have to say I haven't played much. I played when I was young. My father was an avid, avid golfer. So I was around it all the time, but right. since I already had a discipline or two uh, with art, and I was riding horses a lot then, I didn't mm-hmm. give it much time. But when I got into it with Augusta, of course, I got into it in a big way then. <laughs> <laughs> I got real interested in it, and I really did a lot of research and uh, watched the tournaments, went to the tournaments. Uh, Early on, I went to Scotland Mm -hmm. and, you know, just immersed myself in it, basically, really. And because I watch all these tournaments, uh, you learn a lot. (laughs) You learn a lot. Right. Being there, watching other people play, uh, you don't really have to play to, I don't think, to appreciate the game for what it is. Right. It's incredibly but it's allowed you through. Yeah, through. Well, exactly. Trust me, I can, <laughs> I can vote for that. Um, yeah. as an, even as an instructor, I can I can tell you it can be very challenging for both students and even for instructors. But uh, mm-hmm. the reason why I asked that is mm-hmm. I just wanted people to understand that you know even if you didn't play a lot or or at all you've put a lot of you know not just on the specific holes that you're doing or the specific elements that you're doing but you actually really immersed yourself into understanding the game and how it's played and and uh, the different challenges right so that when you were able Mm -hmm. to then translate that onto canvas for lack of better words um, right. You had a general understanding about the game, or very I shouldn't say general, very strong understanding of the game. So that obviously right. helps you to capture, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the various artworks that you're doing. And, and really, just to go back to something that you said earlier, you know, you want people to feel, uh, or you know, sort of say to themselves, well, how would I play, or how did I play this hole? 
you want them to feel like they're kind of in that picture themselves. Even exactly. if they're not physically there, exactly. you want them to look at that and say, here I am standing on the tee at 13 mm-hmm. or whatever uh, of this particular course, and you want to create the illusion, if you will, that they're sort of immersed right in, in the project as well, right? Right, exactly. Uh, I want them, I want the viewer to literally put themselves there, just the experience of being there. Especially if they've been there before, then it's real easy for them to just fall into it, basically. Right, uh, and that, that's why. Yeah, and that's what... to to depict that kind of, and I call it a metaphysical experience, basically. I mean, when you're playing golf, you're experiencing it on so many levels. It's I don't even know how to explain it. I just call it metaphysical. <laughs> but <laughs> well, but that feeling it, comes across if if you uh, experience that level at the game as a discipline. And right. I think it's easy to relate to that just by looking at a golf hole. Yeah, and, and you're exactly right, Linda, because – you know, as as somebody who has played a lot of golf, uh, both you know uh, privately and and also with uh, as an instructor with students, you know mm-hmm. it, it is a, a very it's almost really an emotional experience as well because yeah. you're out there and you know you're in the highs and the lows of, of the round and you know you're experiencing all kinds of uh, both good and bad emotions depending on how the day is going. But right. um, <laughs> but over overall. You know, it, it's a very mm-hmm. pleasurable experience to be out on the golf course uh, and to challenge yourself. So, you know, to be yeah. able to capture that, you know, right on 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 canvas and and it, and it sort of uh, allow the the you know those that are seeing the, your work to be able to experience mm-hmm. that as well is 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 definitely a, a big plus. So I want to ask you that early yep. that early trip to Scotland uh, was an epiphany, really. I mean, I was immersed in the history as well. Uh, my host, who was uh, driving me around Scotland and showing me Royal Dornick and all these places, ended up putting me in a bed and breakfast in St. Andrews and leaving me there for a week by myself. So I had a lot of time to absorb all the feelings, and you really do get a sense of history that is almost tangible over there. And that was like a real epiphany to me, I think. It changed the way I viewed the courses and what I wanted to convey. So it was really, really important, I think, for anyone to go to Scotland, Ireland. It's, it's just, it has a different feeling over there. Yeah, the, the game is yeah the game is much different for sure. I know mm-hmm. it, you know many of the uh, the more modern courses have tried to capture uh, you know certainly aesthetically the, the looks of, of some of the courses over there. But again, it's it's different you know for those uh, you know that have gone over there can can certainly appreciate and attest to what you're saying. Um, and those that haven't you know certainly need to make a, an effort to to go over there. I mean, you're talking about really. You know, in Scotland, you're talking about the birthplace of, of golf, and there's a lot of history mm-hmm. and tradition there um, that you can't really see and appreciate, uh, you know, on a screen as you can when you're right there right. in the thick of things. 
Yeah. So I wanted to ask. Yeah, I wanted to ask you. Uh, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, I'm sure this is one of them, but um, I want to ask you to maybe talk about a few of your favorite memories um, throughout oh, your travels. It relates, <laughs> I know there's a ton of them, but you know, give us a cut. We got time, so uh, you know, give us a couple. So if you want to start with with you know what you were talking about, uh, but just share some of the memories um, that you've mm-hmm. had. Uh, you know, with related to your arts. I mean, you've done uh, phenomenal stuff here in the U.S. You've gone overseas, of course. But what are mm-hmm. some of your the ones that really stand out? Give us a couple of examples and just tell us a little bit about that journey. Okay. Well, uh, I think, again, that 1988 trip to Scotland was key. <laughs> and um, being in St. Andrews for a week by myself was, was quite, uh, you know, awakening, I'd say. A lot of time to just spend with the course, walking and absorbing the flavor of the whole place, which is significant. <laughs> and anyway, when my agent came back, uh, Bob Pringle, he was a also a RNA member. And um, he actually took me on a midnight tour of the RNA, you know, and 88 women were not allowed in the RNA clubhouse. (laughs) But he knew the night watchman being a member. Mm -hmm. I had a complete tour of the building. That was very cool. And also one of his best friends was uh, Brian Anderson, who was the uh, pro at Royal Turn. And both of them had uh, extensive uh, fishing leases, grouse shooting leases all over Scotland. So my husband and I got to enjoy quite a lot of that as well. That was pretty significant, too. Um, I also went to Pine Valley and had a tour of that clubhouse, uh, courtesy of Ernie Ransom. That was another thing women never got to do. Right. And I did did a painting of the 18th hole there. And uh, what? I don't know. I was at Augusta so many times. I met um, Jean Sarazen when we did a print signing of the 15th hole at Augusta. And that was uh, quite a amazing to uh, spend a few days with uh, Gene Sarazen down in uh, Florida. I mean, that really shook you when you talk to someone who's experienced what he has. And I got to be good friends with his daughter, Mary Ann, and so we always hung out at the Masters every year. We went to all the receptions and you know, those were pretty memorable times for sure. So I don't know. There's a lot of things. Royal County Down, my husband and I were there for a week, and we both ride horses. So we found a uh, Western outfitter in Ireland, <laughs> and they ride up in the mountains of Morn. <laughs> so we actually wow. rode up into the mountains of Morn, and I could look down at the course from up there on a horse. That was pretty cool. <laughs> now you've also you've also Linda, uh, you know, as I mentioned in, in the uh, the opening uh, 
uh, introduction that you've done mm-hmm. a lot of uh, personal work for uh, some very prominent, uh, and I named a few, uh, Jack Nicholas and, and Jack Raymond Nicholas, Floyd yeah. uh, as a couple. Uh, mm-hmm. What typically are, are, and again, you know, if, if uh, uh, you want to share some examples, it'd be great. What typically do they look for um, to have you do, or what has been some of the things? Is it, is it particular golf holes that they really want to have, or um, yeah, particularly you know, Augusta. Person? Right, that's what I figured. Um, yeah. But what about themselves? Do, do they ever want you to sort of immortalize? I mean, I know you pr- predominantly, uh, prominently, uh, you know, do the the golf landscapes, but do they also mm-hmm. have you do maybe, you know, a picture of them with their green jacket on, as say, you know, in the case of Jack Nicholas or is that no. has that ever been asked of you as well, or or not? Not really. The course. I, a lot of times I'll do a drawing of them if we do a print, and I'll put the drawing of them right. on the print. I've done Jack Nicholas, right? Ferris, yeah. But uh, basically, no. Uh, for Jack, I did a lot of his major wins, you know, in Pebble Beach and Baltusrol and Augusta. Wingfoot and all these different courses. I did a couple of paintings of um, um, his course, uh, Muirfield, Muirfield Village. Muirfield, yeah, yeah. So, uh, and mostly it's the courses that they want. Mm-hmm. You know, the most memorable um, wins. Right. That makes sense. Yeah, is it? You know, it's interesting because, you know, for, for a lot of these players and obviously Reese Jones uh, in there as mm-hmm. well. In, in well, group, he designs them. Um, <laughs> right, exactly. So, yeah, obviously he wants to uh, have uh, not not from a memory of playing, but uh, as a memory of, right. of, of created being a great uh, gor- he created them. So why not uh, immortalize it with a, with a beautiful painting? Um, yeah. But, and, and you've obviously uh, provided so many uh, of your collections in – uh, things like the USGA Museum as well, and obviously the the Morris Museum of, of Art. And again, it's typically the same thing that you know certain uh, holes, certain things. What has been, if you were to, you know, and, and again, I don't need, I'm not asking for a specific number, but if you were sort of in the, your head, tally up um, <laughs> the holes that you've done as an example, like you know, if Augusta and that, what have, what would be the top three requests for holes? <laughs> And what, what golf course? What, what are the most popular holes that people want you to paint for them? Well, at Augusta, of course, it's 10, 11, 12, 16, and 18. Uh, right. St. Andrews, it's pretty much 17 and 18, though I have done the first hole in the 14th and 4th, and I've done several of the road hole, several different, you know, versions and uh, Pebble Beach, again, I've done several, probably six or seven paintings there. You know, uh, seventh hole, fifth hole, eighth hole, ninth hole, 17 and 18, several times. <laughs> so so what, what do you, if, if you have a client, let's say, that wants you to paint a specific hole, Mm-hmm. And you've done that, and somebody else comes out with the same sort of request. Do you do anything different? Uh, oh, yeah. Approach it from oh, a different. Yeah, I mean, because obviously you don't want everybody, you know, you don't want a, a thousand copies of the exact same uh, portrayal no. of, of that golf hole. No. 
So how it's do you kind decide? It's a challenge to uh, find a different view of it, but it's just a matter of working with the actual hole and different times of year, you know, different lighting. There's it's just a little different angle. And so I'm, I've managed to make them all different somehow. <laughs> now, do you sort of initiate that yourself, and do you sort of say to them, you know, I've, because you know that you've done, you know, and again, I'm just mm-hmm. using this as a reference, but, you know, uh, you know, hole 13 or 12 or 11 at Augusta, um, you know, maybe you've done it 100 times, let's say. Do you yeah. normally say to them, you know what, I would like to do this a little bit different. I've done the hole and happy sure. to do it for yeah. you, but... I'd like to put a different spin on it or a different mm-hmm. angle, that kind of thing, or is that something that they would generally approach you and say, you know what, I know you've done this a lot, but I really love this hole. Um, you decide what you want to do to, to represent that. Uh, how does that sort of work? Uh, they, usually they are pretty good about letting me decide. Um, you know, I, I have never had much trouble with that. I I have to say that the people that gave me the most trouble were the pros at Augusta. <laughs> they were such sticklers on everything being just exactly the way they wanted it. Uh, I never saw anybody quite so uh, detail-oriented. So I had good training there. <laughs> But when I was I was on the course a lot, I took pictures from 84, you know, every year practically. So I have a huge file of pictures. And a lot of times uh, if there's a hole I wanted to do, if I didn't like the way, I couldn't get what I wanted out of it maybe in um, May or, or, I mean, April, I'd come back in the winter time when the angle of the sun's different. And sometimes I get better lighting that way and then I just add all the the uh spring flowering and voila, you got a new painting. <laughs> <laughs> have you, so there's all have kinds you ever... of ways of finagling. <laughs> Well, and yeah, you've got to, as you said, you've got to be creative and, and, uh, mm-hmm. and again, you don't have to name specific, um, uh, holes or anything like that, but has there ever been, um, you know, a feature or a hole that you've done over the years that you've done so many times that really, um, you don't really enjoy it as much anymore. And I know that's, a, you know, kind of an odd question, but has it ever gotten mm-hmm. to the point? where there's been some that you've just done it, you know, done it to death, so to speak, when you just thought, well, I don't really want to do I know you'll do it probably, but uh, for your clients, but has it ever been the case where that's, you've just done it so much that it's, uh, you know, that it's not enjoyable anymore? Got, for, I haven't quite got to that point yet. I Like I said, I got so many pictures. And each, you know, uh, there's so many different angles and views of a same place. And if the lighting is good or if it's, an exciting picture, maybe it's closer up, maybe it's further back, maybe it's from the back of the hole. There's just so many different angles that are possible that I haven't yeah, got I can... to that point yet where unless somebody asks for exactly the same view every time, like right. the P of 12, you know, done that eh, twice. <laughs> so... <laughs> 
but they've been yeah. different enough, you know. Uh, and then, of course, the view of 12 from 11, that's another one I've done several times. But I've always been able to find a little bit different lighting or morning light or afternoon light or something different. Is there a course or a whole, I'm sure there's, you know, there's plenty because there's so many out there. Is there one that you haven't done yet that you'd really like to do? So if somebody's listening out there and would mm-hmm. love to uh, accommodate you, uh, is there one right now, a course or a whole on, on one of the courses that you really wanted to do but maybe you haven't had the request yet that, that's caught your eye over the years? Uh, yeah, I'd say um, maybe Cypress Point. I have not done Cypress Point. I feel like one day maybe. <laughs> uh I like the I like the what I see at Bandoned Dunes. You know, that the pictures I've seen are just mm-hmm. stunning. But I have not been there. But um and there's still many courses in Scotland and Ireland that are just I even have pictures of. I just haven't done them. <laughs> <laughs> well, you still have you still have plenty of time. Um, is oh, there a favorite? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure you will. Is there a favorite, <laughs> Linda, that you have that you've done um, when you think of that particular painting, uh, and you just sort of say back? I mean, obviously, I know you're proud of all of your work, but is there one or mm-hmm. maybe even two that you've done that you just say to yourself, "Wow, I just really, you know, knocked yeah. that one down the fairway." That, what would that the be? The one I did of uh, the ninth hole of Royal County Down, I have that hanging in a very large print over my fireplace in the studio. I love that one. <laughs> I love the one I did of Harbor Town, which is sort of my local course in a way. Right. And I love the, what's the other? Oh, Royal Dornick. Oh, my goodness. That That place is really... Uh, what makes your hair stand on it? I think, <laughs> and, and I had an experience there that sort of uh, definitely uh, uh, sort of contributes to that feeling. But if you've ever been there, it's quite stunning. And, mm-hmm. and my husband and I were uh, there and one evening and I, I like the late afternoon light which over there in Scotland is like 8 or 9 o'clock you know right <laughs> so um, and there was supposed to be a, a bagpipe concert in the town square which is right next to the course and I had forgotten about it you know and we I was out all the way out ninth hole way out tenth hole and they started the concert and honest to God, the bagpipes rolling over that course out there, it just made your hair stand up. <laughs> and we took pictures, or I took pictures all the way, you know, from the 10th hole all the way back and into the town square, and the concert ended when we got to the town square. So that was wow. very cool. So obviously you've had a lot of great memories, mm-hmm. not only in in painting uh, the mm-hmm. various golf carts, but obviously you've enjoyed some uh, very extensive travel uh, to these mm-hmm. different places to be able to see that as well. 
what's coming up next for you? Uh, is there some projects that you're uh, currently doing or gearing up? For? I know you will directly yeah. to your website, uh, uh, harto.com, uh, in, in a moment, but uh, is there any mm-hmm. special projects coming up that you'd like to share that you're working on or, or, or planning to work on that you're excited about? Yeah, I have several uh, proposals out right now, and and basically I, I'm not doing tournament work anymore, but I'm doing private commissions for individuals and clubs. So uh, I just finished one, and now you know I'm kind of in between. So I have some proposals out. I really don't know what's going to come through next, so I can't really say the next one. <laughs> But I have a proposal out for one in Ireland, one five in in um, Australia, and yeah, there's out there. There's so many courses everywhere. It's just incredible. And also one in Japan. So I don't know what I'll be doing next. I'm just kind of waiting to see. <laughs> been some of the most interesting I know you, you've talked about some of the interesting holes uh, mm-hmm. but different regions on the planet that you've been to um, that this has obviously allowed you to go uh, you mentioned Australia you, you're you know trying to work on some things there um, mm-hmm. what's been some of the interesting areas regions uh, besides obviously Scotland and that that you've been to uh, I'm sure a number of times were some interesting places that you had never been before but maybe have had the opportunity now uh, or in recent years to visit, that was really kind of you thought to yourself, "Wow, that was you know a great uh, a great visit, <laughs> yeah. a great course." I know there's a ton of them, but what were some of the ones that you've been to that you really enjoyed? Well, I went to Hong Kong and photographed about four courses there. One one was in China. That mm-hmm. was quite an experience. Um, so I don't know. I haven't been to Australia. You know, I'd like to go, but I haven't been there. And Japan, I'd love to go, but I haven't. Been, I've been in the airport, but I haven't been in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. Well, Narita counts, but <laughs> that's as far as I've gotten in Japan. But I, I really um, like uh, Scotland and Ireland. I, I I used to go every year, practically. So you know, I'm most familiar with them and like them. I have friends over there and. You know, uh, places to visit for besides just going to golf courses, and, and it's really very rewarding to go over there. If you had to, uh, and this is just a hypothetical, of course, but okay. if you had, let's say, you had 500 paintings, and you could only keep one, mm-hmm. just for room, you've run out of room, you've got nowhere to store it, but one picture, one painting. What would it be? Gosh, <laughs> you know I don't have a single golf painting here. I sold to... every single one of them. <laughs> I have I have prints. I love my prints. <laughs> I keep them as my well... memory. I have them hanging all over my studio. <laughs> now I do have right. some originals that are not golf. You know that I have done over right. the years that I kept. But all the golf ones are in somebody else's house. If you, uh, let me rephrase that then, since you've okay. obviously sold them all. Uh, if you 
um, had the opportunity to paint for yourself one more painting of, of a golf course, hole, what have you, what would it be? What would be the one that you would most likely want to do for yourself? Wow. Well, you know, I really wish I had the Royal Dornick painting I did. I don't have it, but I love that painting. I, that was that would be the one that I would want, I think. Very interesting. Uh, you know, I think for, for somebody like yourself that has done so much, I, I know that there's really a wealth of, um, you know, work to draw from, and I'm sure there's so many, you know, interesting uh, holes and courses and things that you've seen mm-hmm. over the years. So I'm sure it's very, it would be very difficult to, to really just settle on one. But, um, you know, I, I think every artist probably has one favorite um, moment in their career that they really think, wow, I, this just, you know, really hit it out of the park, so to speak, or just really mm-hmm. felt, um, you know, uh, you know, whatever the energy, if you will. And it, it's interesting. So I think what you do is very fascinating. And uh, obviously, you have a, an incredible talent, um, you know, to be able to do that. I mean, anybody can splash some paint around and, and things and, and call it whatever they want. But to do what you do for as long as you have, obviously, you're uh, very, very talented and obviously very passionate about what you, you do. And uh, yeah, you've been definitely. Uh, yeah. re- rewarded and, and, and uh, recognized for that. And it's nice that in addition to the work that you have to do, that you've had the opportunity to be able to travel uh, and see so many great yeah. places. And, um, and uh, I think that's, uh, I think that's been, is there anything else, any other, other than the, the, the golf landscaping in golf that um, has piqued your interest that you would love to, to paint? Is there anything else beside the golf courses? Uh, I know you've probably done some clubhouses and things too uh, that were, uh, you know, out of the ordinary, but is there any other part of golf, the golfing art world that, that has piqued your interest over the years? Uh, not really. I mean, I, I just love the landscape mostly. I mean, if if there's a great clubhouse, I'll try to work that into the painting. Uh, and in many cases that happens, you know, mm-hmm. but, um, if it's an ugly clubhouse, then I make darn sure I pick something else. <laughs> well, I'll the- never forget when I was at Carnoustie, and it was before they built the new clubhouse. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember what the old one looked like, but it was ugly. It was like a 1960 box. And right. there was no way that was going to be in that painting for me. (laughs) No way. (laughs) So I had to find a view that that was, it wasn't in. (laughs) And at that time, I didn't know what the new one was going to look like, so I didn't know if it would be any better. (laughs) So that worked for me. Right, so obviously every artist has their limitations and what the hell. What they right. put on canvas. <laughs> <laughs> and even when I'm painting St. Andrews now, I eliminate a lot of stuff. You know, like <laughs> light poles and I don't know. Well, sure. All their exterior plumbing and, you know. Right. <laughs> and I, I, I think, is this the right word? Yeah, it, it becomes more of an abstract. Is that the right word? <laughs> kind of. It just becomes yeah. <laughs> semi-invisible. Uh, right. Even even like uh, 
uh, if you're painting the, well, like when I did the ninth hole at Pebble Beach, there's a house that sits right behind 10, and it's like mm-hmm. a light, you know, it's just there. Right. <laughs> yeah. But in certain times of day, it disappears. Depends on the values that you paint it, you know, whether it shows up or not. So it's sort of there, but not. And I'm good at that. I can make things disappear. <laughs> and they're there, you know, if they say, oh, she painted that. No, there it is. You know. Right. <laughs> and you know how Very people subtly, are, but, you know. Right. It's subtle, but it's there. <laughs> it's there. It's yeah. just there, period. But you don't see it unless you're looking for it. And right. that's kind of exactly. the way I treat things like that. It's just basically uh, a non-element. <laughs> well, it's not a focal point of the picture. I mean, you know, they're not, you know, you're not painting that hole for the light post or for the sign or for, right. you know, a, right. a clubhouse that, that is not aesthetically appealing. People are not it's wanting to see. It's a distraction. Right, I exactly. I don't want it anything to from... distract from what I want you to see. Right. And that's the difference from just painting every single thing that's in the scene and editing it so that you only I make you see what I want you to see. It's not like a just a complete copy of what's there. And speaking of you... the ninth hole of Pebble Beach, uh next week mm-hmm. is the Women's Open, US Open. That's right. Mm-hmm. And we are going to be giving away a limited edition print of the ninth hole of Pebble Beach with our wow. um, pick the winner contest. Very so, good. How can we'll how can enter. people? Uh, yeah. <laughs> how can they? <laughs> so let's let's give them the let's give them your website so they can go on and look okay. at the, uh, more information. So uh, for those that would like to learn a little bit more about what we're talking about here, because uh, uh, obviously, uh, we're, we're all visual people, and we like to look at some great uh, artwork. And uh, Linda has plenty of it uh, all over her website. So if you go to uh, www.harto, and it's spelled H-A-R-T-O-U-G-H dot com, uh, you can find uh, a lot of good information there, mm-hmm. including some originals and uh, some in, in process. And you can find out much uh, about her as well. And also, I guess if they're interested in uh, prints as well, uh, mm-hmm. You've got some of that there, and they can reach out to you. And if they're interested in purchasing some prints, I would imagine, right. yeah. correct? We do all right. kinds of custom sizes. You know, pretty much whatever you want, we can make it. So, <laughs> but right, exactly. uh, if you sign up for the email, you do. We do these um, pick the winner uh, emails. Uh, pretty much most mm-hmm. of the major tournaments, and we give away a print to people that pick the pick the winner so next Very week good. is a big one right so. and uh, um, just to give the, the folks a little bit of heads up they'll see this when they go to the website right at the top on the banner uh, you can get 10% off your first order and chances to win a print through our pick the winner challenge when you sign up for uh, their newsletter uh, and you right. can also buy one get one free on selected items of course and the mm-hmm. sale through July 5th 25% off uh, plus free shipping, so um, be sure you use promo code July 4-25. So um, that's all there and, and uh, ready for, for those of you to sign up for the newsletter and get your chance to win. 
uh, or potentially a chance to win uh, one of Linda's prints. And uh, yeah, I think Linda's we have there. a lot of people that really enjoy that, so it's it's really nice. It's just kind of fun, you know, for everybody. Exactly. So uh, lots of great information there. You can review uh, a lot of the catalogs that she's got. U.S. courses. Uh, uh, again, St. Andrews uh, overseas, mm-hmm. uh, you can see that. And also uh, some note cards, open editions, uh, books and posters, all kinds of great things that you can see there mm-hmm. as well. Uh, but uh, go to harto.com is the website. Linda, I want to thank you as always. I really enjoy having you on. Uh, you've been on now for a number of seasons and actually twice uh, the last couple of seasons you've come on. I really enjoy our conversations and uh, I really appreciate oh, I you giving enjoy, up your time. I enjoy your questions. <laughs> I enjoy yeah. talking to I, you, talk about some different things. It's really great. Right. And I think I asked you this the last time, but just to, to sort of confirm, are you going to the uh, Golf Heritage Society National Convention this year that's going to be taking place October 11th to 14th? And it's going to be held at the Embassy Suite Hotel. Yes. Probably not. But I, I'm okay. going to go probably next year. I believe it's at Pinehurst maybe. Isn't it? Oh, okay. I, I think so. Yeah, I'm not 100% sure. but That's within uh, and also I want, range. <laughs> right, me. there you go. Yeah, a little, uh, I don't blame you. Uh, also, um, you're one of the founding trustees of the Academy of Golf Art, and their website is academyofgolfart.org. Uh, of so you can go right. and find more information about that. And uh, they're always uh, they're welcoming uh, new members and, and things like mm-hmm. that. So if you're interested in learning more about that, um, you can go to academyofgolfart.org uh, for more information there. But make sure that you go to Linda's website, harto.com. Um, Linda, thank you very much for, again, spending some time with me. It's always a pleasure. And oh, I thank look you, uh, forward to I having you back it. on a future show. All right. Thank you so much. All right. You have a great evening and a great uh, happy 4th of July. I hope you have a great weekend and enjoy uh, Pebble Beach and the U.S. Women's Open. I will. I can't wait. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Take care. Good night. All right. That was uh, world-renowned golf landscape painter Linda Harto uh, spending some time with me talking about uh, what she does and just sharing some some fond memories. Uh, uh, she's definitely a, a great uh, artist, and uh, I would strongly urge you to uh, not only check out her website, harto.com, and that is H-A-R-T-O-U-G-H, uh, of course, .com. And you can check out a lot of her work, uh, both the paintings and obviously it's available. Many of them are available in print, so you can certainly purchase there. And if you sign up for her newsletter, uh, uh, you can get a chance to um, win through their Pick, uh, Pick the Winner uh, contest and win uh, one of the prints. So uh, that's always interesting. They do that, as she mentioned, uh, through all the major tournaments. Uh, so it's something that uh, people enjoy. And, and uh, again, the uh, work that she does is just phenomenal. So. Um, and maybe uh, if you're somebody that's looking to uh, start your own collection uh, of uh, great uh, golf landscape painting, uh, you may want to reach out to her. You can do that through the website as well at harto.com. So uh, definitely check it out. And uh, on that note, I want to thank everybody. And let me just remind you as well that uh, we will have a show next week, next Thursday. Uh, but the following week I'll be away, so there will be no shows. And there is no Women of Golf uh, next Tuesday because it's the 4th of July, so I'll be celebrating uh, with the rest of you. And uh, But on that note, thank you, and I will see you next time uh, here on Golf Talk Live. God bless everybody, and happy 4th. Everyone be safe. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. 
We'd like to thank this week's Coach's Corner panel, and a special thank you to tonight's guest. Remember to join Ted every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central on Golf Talk Live. And be sure to follow Ted on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're interested in being a guest on Golf Talk Live, send Ted an email at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.